This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you an examination of Montana's new landscape with new laws, a new governor, and a new Republican dominance across all of state government. Hi, listeners. My name is Kia Gardner. I'm the regional digital editor for Lee Enterprises Mountain West Area, and I'll be hosting today's discussion. Here to answer some questions involving week two of the Grizzlies and Us series is Rob Cheney. He's the outdoors and natural resources reporter for the Missoulian. Hi, Rob. Hey, Kia. All right, so we're diving into week two here. The subject of week one was really how you know, we are learning to live with and deal with grizzlies. And the focus of week two material um, is basically how are grizzlies dealing with us? Um, So to kick things off, you know, as things stand in our area here in the lower 48, I think people are wondering who it is that really has a stake in grizzly management. You know, who is it that gets to make the decisions surrounding how bears interact with us? We Montanans are going to be the national experts in this debate. We are the people who are living closest with them. We are the people who have the most experience with them. And in many cases, we are the people who are paying for the management and the reparations and the damage and the recovery that goes along with living with grizzly bears. So how do grizzly debates um, differ from place to place? Are Yellowstone bear problems the same as bear problems that might go on in the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem, which as we've been learning is the area in Northern uh, Montana that encompasses areas like Glacier. Um, How do those conversations about grizzly management vary? So one of the biggest challenges about managing grizzly bears is it's incredibly landscape-based. Just to take one example uh, close to my readership at the Missoulian, the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem extends from Glacier Park almost down to Missoula, along the spine of the Continental Divide. But if you look at that from east to west, on the eastern side, the Rocky Mountain Front, you've got a very... um, very rural, very cattle and uh, farming agriculture community, um, highly dispersed, lots of bears coming down out of the Eastern Front and frequently getting in trouble uh, raiding people's calving areas or getting into their um, grain fields and their corn silos, causing problems in that sense. On the west side, You've got grizzly bears coming down into the suburbs of Kalispell and getting into people's backyard chicken coops. That's a totally different management (laughs) problem. You've also, on the northern end, you've got Glacier National Park, which has very long-standing traditions and rules about keeping wildlife under a certain kind of management regime. Right next to it, you've got the Flathead National Forest, which has hunting and motorized recreation and an entirely different paradigm of industrial uses going on than what, from a crow's eye view, looks like exactly the same landscape. 
So trying to come up with one policy that handles just the complexity of a single recovery area and then multiplying that by six and then multiplying that by three different states and then making all of that work on a national scale with the Federal Endangered Species Act is going to be a real challenge. Right. So can you give us a bit more um, insight as to why it is that grizzlies are expanding their range? Um, is it because the recovery areas are full? Is it because these bears are wanderers and the rest of the world is too attractive to them? Why is it ultimately, according to research, that bears are leaving these recovery zones and encroaching on places like you mentioned, Kalispell and these more civilized areas? This is actually a point of serious scientific debate. There are a couple of competing theories um, that both have some very vigorous defenders. One is that uh, we have reached uh, what's called carrying capacity within the recovery areas. That bears, individual bears, have individual territories of a certain number of square miles, and when you increase the number of bears, and each one of them wants a territory at some point, you pooch out of your arbitrary boundaries of the recovery area. And so the, the younger bears, the weaker bears, the more adventurous bears get shoved to the fringe, and the fringe happens to be uh, Kalispell. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a fair amount of biological evidence that says, no, that is not correct. That Instead, it's actually the more adventurous bears who are looking at recovery areas that were never particularly good bear habitat to begin with. Um, A lot of uh, people in the wilderness debate are familiar with the term rocks and ice. That wilderness areas uh, got approved politically nationwide because all they are are rocks and ice and there wasn't any good mining or logging or ranching to be done up there. Well, bears look at it in kind of the same way. There aren't a whole lot of huckleberries or elk or uh, other things in these Bob Marshall Wilderness territories that you set up for me. So, gee, look down the river there, and there's a cornfield, or there's a chicken coop, or there's all manner of other convenient foodstuffs that aren't particularly well defended. Why should I stay here in the rocks and ice when there's better food down the road? Um understand that these recovery areas don't have fences, don't have hard boundaries. And as far as a bear is concerned, the whole world is its oyster uh, until it runs into something that stops it, like a semi-truck on a freeway. Um, So that debate is still going on, whether we've hit carrying capacity or we've made the outside too attractive. What is not under debate, what is very certain, is that bears are entering new areas outside the recovery zones, and we've got to figure out what to do with them. And I know uh, this week we're actually going to discuss a couple of different bears, right, that really made a trek um, across the state of Montana. Um, As one bear, as I recall, started over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, before it looped all the way down um, towards Missoula, up towards the Flathead, until it got to Glacier and then over to Eureka. So we're going to, there's some stories coming this week that really dive into a couple bears journeys. Um, so 
with the focus of this second week of Grizzlies and us being on how Grizzlies deal with us, um, Rob, I think it's important to understand how we build relationships with those animals and where um, that relationship stands. And as I understand it, one of your stories um, gets to some of those questions in the form of the evaluation of a recent survey that came out. Um, can you provide an overview of this survey, sort of who conducted it, how thorough is it, what sort of questions did it seek to answer? So at the start of 2021, uh, we got a hold of a really comprehensive opinion survey of Montanans that was done by the Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks through the uh, University of Montana College of Forestry. So this isn't one of those, you know, call you up and what do you think about TV shows, uh, fly-by-night operations. This was a mailed survey, went, uh, got 1,783 respondents and then was put through an extremely rigorous analysis um, to uh, sort out what people were thinking about. And what we find out from this is that Montanans have a very complex relationship with bears. Um, it is not just a, a red and blue thing. It is not a young and old. It is not an urban rule. It's uh, fascinating. So let's talk about some of the key takeaways from this. Um, what are some of the higher points? Maybe what was something that was especially surprising to you, someone who's been covering grizzlies in this area for a long time? The two biggest and most confounding takeaways from this is that, first of all, virtually 90% of Montanans think that grizzly bears have a right to be here and it's a good thing that they are. Statistically uh, speaking, in, in opinion surveys, to get 90% on anything is extremely rare and unusual. The second thing, right alongside it, is that about 80% of Montanans think some kind of grizzly hunting would be a good idea. That's and you put shocking. Those two things side by side and everybody starts scratching their heads. So when you dig further into it, then things get really complex. And especially on the hunting question, it's not that 80% of Montanans all think that a grizzly hunt for a particular reason is a good idea. It's very scattered in more specific reasons. So for example, 61% of the respondents said that people should be allowed to hunt grizzlies as long as the bear population can withstand the pressure. In other words, hunt them like uh, we hunt elk and deer, and if you uh, hunt too many of them and the number gets too low, then you stop hunting. But about 30% of them specifically said, we want hunting to make bears more wary of humans. And a different 30% uh, of them said, actually, you can't get bears to be wary of humans by hunting them, in their opinion. Um, 46% of the respondents thought that hunting would be a good idea to reduce human-bear conflict. Now, where all of this gets really confounding and interesting is that there's a fair amount of science about what hunting does or does not do to bear behavior. And for the most part, 
it doesn't get the results that people like to think it would. So for example, you can't use a big game hunt to stop a grizzly bear from getting into a chicken coop. Because if a bear gets into a chicken coop and then you send a hunter out, the chances that the hunter will find the particular bear that got into the chicken coop are very low. So in other words, you're not solving the chicken coop problem by hunting the bears. Reducing conflict. There is very contradictory evidence about if you have hunters constantly out shooting bears, do the bears learn to avoid hunters and avoid human activity? Um, on the one hand, bears tend to be very solitary individuals, and as they say, a dead bear don't teach. <laughs> on the other hand, there's a fair amount of uh, evidence out of Europe, which has incidentally thousands of grizzly bears in far more densely populated areas than any place in America wow. has. And they're seeming to figure out a way to get along, but that's a whole other story. Um, where hunting grizzly bears has been around for a long time, and the grizzly bears have virtually turned into ghosts. Uh, up in Sweden, they kill about 3,000 bears a year, and you never see a grizzly bear. You also very rarely have any conflicts with grizzly bears unless you're clear up in the Lapland area where they're getting into the reindeer. But in terms of human bear incidences, some of the very few on record are things like a kid who is skiing out of bounds in a ski area and falls into a grizzly bear's den, and the bear beats him up. Mm. <laughs> um, so, um, so what a, is this an example of how, how do you how, Rob? How do you think that? this survey might be utilized down the road to inform certain policy decisions, or will it at all? Is that an aim of this survey? When I look at questions surrounding, um, questions and answers surrounding a topic that could be as sensitive as hunting a species that we've known to be endangered, um, is this something that will find itself in the lap of people who make decisions like that? I hope very much that it will find itself in the lap of people who make decisions uh, because it gets at questions that really uh, expose Montana attitudes in a way that you don't hear very much on, say, the floor of the legislature. Um, this survey asks things like, do you feel threatened by bears? Do you think grizzly bears are beautiful animals? Do they limit your recreational opportunities? Do you travel to go see them? And it turns out that we are all over the map on a lot of those questions, except in very important distinctions. For example, on the question, are grizzly bears part of what makes Montana special? 49% strongly agreed with that. 35% agreed with that. Uh, the disagree and strongly disagree categories, whopping 6% total. So, in other words, whether we want to hunt them or not, whether we think they limit our recreation or not, we all think they are part of what makes Montana special. Okay, and then, so, moving slightly past the survey, um, what good is it for having free-roaming grizzlies on the landscape? Um, you know, a lot of 
the questions that this survey is getting at is kind of, you know, what is going to happen? Oh, fuck, I hate that. Redo Tom at 1540-ish. Um, so, Rob, why have free-roaming grizzlies on the landscape? Um, what might it look like, what might our state look like if we got rid of them through something like hunting or other measures? There are, there are two really strong trains of thought about having grizzlies on the landscape. One's biological, one's economic. On the biological side of things, our landscape, our wildlife, our hunting, our uh, wildlife watching, evolutionarily was designed to have predators in the system. It was designed to have bears and wolves and lions preying on deer and elk and bighorn sheep and whatnot. And when you remove a big chunk of that system, particularly the predators, you wind up with things like chronic wasting disease, which uh, will eat your brain, to put it very pointedly. Um, and will result in having to do a whole lot of calisthenics trying to reinsert humans in the predator role to manage these wildlife populations. Whereas they were designed to be managed by predators like bears and wolves and lions. So having that functioning system ecologically, environmentally, has some real benefits to having the whole system work effectively. The economic argument for having bears around looks very similar to what's going on around Yellowstone National Park right now by having wolves around. The simple fact that wolves are running free in Yellowstone National Park has had a significant and measurable boost to the number of tourists who are coming there, the reasons they are coming, the way they spend their money, the way they spend their money in communities outside of the park, the cameras and the binoculars and the movies and the gear that they all buy from those communities just to have a chance to see the wolves. Bears are having a very similar and equally measurable impact on the places where you can go and see them. On the other hand, bears are also having a measurable and significant impact on the industries that they collide with, particularly ranching and farming. And I'm not going to discount that they have very live claims about having to change the way that they calve, having to change the way that they patrol their fields, having to change the way that they store equipment and food on their properties, having to change the way that they store grain and harvest it having to change the way they irrigate because honest to god if you want to walk into a cornfield with an irrigation pipe and find a family of grizzly bears porking out on the corn in there uh, that can ruin your whole day so balancing the cost of bears impact on agriculture versus the cost of bears benefit on tourism is going to be a decision that Montanans are going to be right at the forefront of. All right. Well, Rob, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking a bit about your upcoming stories and kind of giving us a lead-in to what we can expect this week through Grizzlies and Us. It was a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here.